sure we could do that. And looking forward to it tonight. I want to encourage you to be here for that. If you can't be here, be sure to tune in on live stream. And it is good to have each and every one of you in church this morning uh, on the Sunday before Christmas. I was thinking a moment ago, it's kind of like that uh, the little poem or the book that we read was the night before Christmas. I'm glad that on the Sunday before Christmas, all through the house, we have people. Uh, I was beginning to wonder about it a few days ago, whether or not we were going to be able to be in church for Sunday with all the virus scares that we have, but I'm so thankful it was the Sunday before Christmas and all through the house, we actually have people, and I'm thankful for that, and we're glad to have all of our folks here with us today, and if you're here visiting uh, a part of our Hope series, we're glad to have you joining us and pray that the service will be a blessing. I pray it's already been a blessing to you, how encouraging the music's been to us this morning, and I hope it's prepared our heart uh, for the worship. Take your Bibles out this morning, turn to the Old Testament back to Isaiah chapter 9. We were there just a couple of weeks ago. Isaiah chapter 9 and looking forward to continuing our series on hope on this season of hope and excited about what the Lord's given us today. It's been a good week here on property. Got a lot of things done in spite of the weather and in spite of the cold. Uh, we, matter of fact, this week we got our, our concrete poured for our uh, new playground we're putting up out there, new basketball court poured as well. And I uh, appreciate the Arnett's coming out helping us with that. Uh, if uh, nobody showed up, it was going to be up to me and Brother Nate and Brother John and other folks here on property to finish concrete. And I'm not sure, but I think basketball courts are not supposed to have places where you could stub your toes on them. And uh, since we have professional here. It's going to be nice and smooth, and I appreciate all of those who came out and worked on that. Uh, I think it was on Tuesday, and then, well, we had a great service on Wednesday. The weather was perfect. The Lord held off the rain, and we had a great time with our outdoor service, and looking forward to today and tonight and another special service on Wednesday night as we prepare for uh, the Lord's Supper and uh, celebrating the birth of Christ, knowing that ultimately that child that would be born would ultimately go to the cross and die for you and I, and that we could be saved, and what a privilege that is to know this morning, Isaiah chapter number 9. If you don't mind, remain seated this morning as we're just going to kind of keep our germs to ourselves and uh, look down. We read verse number, um, verse number 2, verse number 3, I think about two weeks ago, and we read verse number 6. So we're going to read 6 and 7 today as an introduction to the message. The Bible says, verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Verse number 7 will be our key text today. The Bible says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's stop there and pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word. And I'm thankful, Lord, that we get to look back, Lord, upon history and how what we just read about, Lord, came to be just as you said that it would be. And thank you, Father, because of that child that was given for us that would go on to live and die for us. Lord, we have the privilege to be called the sons of God. And I pray, Lord, for all of those that are saved today, that our hope would be renewed, Lord, not in the world we're living in, but the one we've trusted in. For those that may be here today who've yet to trust Christ as their Savior, Lord, they have uncertainty about their soul. They're not sure right now that they have hope beyond this life. I pray that during this service, your Holy Spirit would make that clear to them. And Lord, through the preaching of your word, Lord, you would show them their need during the invitation time. They'd come and be saved. But Father, whether lost or saved today, I pray that we'd all even submit our will to you right now 
to allow you to do in our hearts and lives what you desire to do, that we leave here today changed. And I thank you for what you're going to do, and I trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've mentioned time and time again to you over the past few weeks that this is one of my favorite times of the year, not just because it's a time to receive gifts, and I'll be honest with you, I enjoy receiving gifts. My wife uh, has been very coy about my gifts this year. I'm not quite sure what they are, and so I'm genuinely going to be surprised that whatever it is she has wrapped up, as long as it's not barking or meowing, I'm sure I'm going to be excited about whatever she has for me. Uh, And as much as I enjoy receiving gifts, uh, regardless of whether it's Christmas or not, I always enjoy giving gifts. That's just something I've always enjoyed doing. Uh, As a matter of fact, I even pride myself on trying to find the perfect gift for people. I like kind of keeping my ears open, trying to find out what people like, and I jot them down, and I keep a list of what folks like, and I like to make sure that I get people gifts that they like. Uh, After the service, if you'd like some tip consultation on how to give good gifts, I'd be glad to share those with you. Uh, The first one really begins with just listening, you know. If you just listen to people, husbands, this is a great one for you. I know it's going to be difficult, but if you'll just listen to your wife every once in a while, you'll find out that she'll drop hints for you throughout the year of some things that she might want to uh, have for Christmas. And some of the best gifts I have found that when you're looking for something to give someone, the best gifts you can give people are those gifts that continually give. Those gifts that keep on giving. And no, I'm not talking about cats, okay? So don't give me a cat for Christmas. Seems like when you get one, they just keep on giving, and you get more cats and more cats and more cats. No, I'm not hinting that I want a cat for Christmas, okay? So please do not drop them off under my carport or leave them in my mailbox, all right? That's where most gifts get left in my office is in the mailbox, but uh, look, we're going to be out of the office this week. If you leave a cat in there, uh, he's going to get hungry, and he's going to make a mess. So I'm not wanting a cat, but the best gifts to give are those that keep on giving throughout the year, something you can use often, and as a matter of fact, somebody who's very good at it. I don't believe they're here this morning. I believe Brother Bado is uh, under the weather, so you pray for him. But uh, Brother Bado is very good about getting me those gifts that keep on giving. And I'll give you a for instance. Uh, this last week, I went to the office, looked in the mailbox, and there is a cheesecake. Uh, Brother Bado knows I like cheesecake, and he left me a cheesecake in my, in my mailbox. It was one of those that would fit in there. And uh, cheesecake is a gift that keeps on giving. Think about it. Uh, when you eat it, you're enjoying it one time. And then after you eat it, it kind of puts on a little extra insulation for you that keeps you warm in days that are cold. So there, it's continuing to give. Uh, And then not only does it give you extra insulation, but it helps you put on a little extra weight, which makes you harder to kidnap. So you think about that. Cheesecake is a gift that keeps on giving. So everybody ought to give somebody cheesecake for Christmas. It'll help keep them warm, satisfied, and not as easily getting uh, kidnapped in life. It just kind of keeps on going. Now, folks, I like those gifts myself. My wife often gives me things that I use often and I enjoy. Every time I take that gift out, whether it's a gun or something to a book to read or maybe a tie to wear or cufflinks to wear, I think about my wife. It brings me joy every time I get to to wear them or to use them. It's kind of like the young man who wanted to get his mother a gift. She was all alone. His dad had passed away. And he wanted to get her something where she wouldn't feel so alone. And so he went out and bought a $50,000 talking parrot. The smartest parrot in the whole wide world who could sit there and have conversations with you. And uh, he bought this very expensive parrot, and he had it shipped to his mother. And one day he called her, and he says, Mom, how did you like the parrot? And she says, it was delicious. She enjoyed it very, very much. That was a gift that kept on giving, but it didn't give exactly the way that her son was hoping it would be. 
But this morning, those are the kind of gifts that I like. Those are kind of gifts that I enjoy that you get them once and you find out more and more about them. The more you use them and the more you get to uh, enjoy them, you find out they bring you even more joy than they did the moment that you received it. I think about my dear wife. Uh, I knew my wife was wonderful uh, when I married her. I knew that uh, she was the one that God had made for me and God had sent to me. And I knew she was wonderful, but the longer I'm married to her, I find out she's even more wonderful than I thought she was. I mean, it's kind of a gift that keeps on giving, and that's just how God works. And that is the case for Christ this morning. I know when I got saved as a nine-year-old child, it was the most wonderful thing in the world to me. I went home and I wrote a little song about being saved and having my name written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, but I have found that as much as salvation was wonderful on the day that I got saved, I found that the gift of Christ is one of those that just keeps on giving. The more you learn about him and the more you learn to walk with him and trust him, the more you find out just how wonderful he is, and I'm so thankful this morning that the gift of Christ is one of those gifts that keep on giving to us. Now, two weeks ago, bear with me, it'll take a little while to get into the message today, but I won't preach too terribly long. Two weeks ago, we looked on our season of hope at the person of hope or the hope that we can only find in Christ. The Bible says that we can do all things through Christ. There is hope through Christ. There is no hope outside of Christ. And if you want hope this morning, you're only going to find it through him. That's not just for the lost in order to be saved. That's for the saved to go on and live this life and go through this life with some type of hope. The only way you're going to have that is through Christ. And we found how, in, in, in matter of fact, in Isaiah 9, when you look down to verse number 4, I'm sorry, verse number 6, the Bible says, unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. He was given to us. God gave us hope, and he gave it to us in the form of Christ, and Christ became our consolation. That's what we looked at last week in the power of hope. The Bible says that we now, because of what Christ did, have the opportunity to lay hold upon hope. We could not reach hope, but God reached down through his long arm of love and extended hope to us through his Son. But today we read verse number 7 in Isaiah 9, and we see something wonderful. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 7, the Bible begins to speak in futuristic terms of what Christ would do and will do. The Bible says of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Aren't you glad? That the hope that we have in Christ, there shall be no end. The Bible says, keep reading. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth even forever. Aren't you glad the hope we have in Christ is forever? The hope of Christ we have this morning is not just for this life, it's for the life to come. The Bible says at the end of verse number 7, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This morning we're going to look at the promise of hope. I'm glad and I'm thankful this morning that the hope of Christ doesn't just solve our problem, you know? The hope of Christ solved the problem that we all had. We were all born in sin. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And Christ came to help us solve our problem that we had in sin. As a matter of fact, the book of Matthew, the Bible says that he came to save our, his people from their sins. But watch this. Not only did Christ come to solve our problem, he came to supply us a promise. If you look at verse number 9, you'll see very, uh, very important words, shall, ever, and will. We see that the hope that the child of God has this morning is forward-looking. Romans chapter 8, verse 25, the Bible says, But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Wait for it. This morning I want to show you that through Christ we have a promise of hope, not only in this life, but the life to come. 
We have something to look forward to. We have something to wait for that was presented to us through the work of Christ on the cross. And I want to explain that hope to us this morning, that promise that we have through Christ. And I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to stay the rest of the message here today in 1 Peter chapter number 1. And I want you to look down to verse number 3. We're looking at the promise that comes with the hope that we find in Christ. It's not just a promise to wash away our sins that Christ has saved us from something. But watch this. Christ not only saved us from something, but he saved us for something. And we can have hope in this life. And we can have peace in this life, not just because our sins have been washed away and our problem has been solved, but because we have a promise of the life to come. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3, we're going to see this promise is detailed for us. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us, watch this, us again unto a lively hope. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now watch the description the Bible gives us in verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fate is not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now I want you to notice the promise of hope this morning. And the Bible uses a very important word in verse number 3 to describe the first thing I want you to see about this promise. The Bible says he hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. A lively hope. Now, you look up that word lively. You know me. I love to do word study, so I look up the word to make sure it means what I think it means because sometimes it doesn't. And you know what the word lively means? It's really deep. Are you ready for it? The word lively means not dead. I know that was a hard to predict, wasn't it? The word lively means not dead. It says that the hope that we have, the promise of the hope that we have is a hope that is not dead. The hope the child of God has this morning is a lively hope. You keep reading, the Bible says it's an active, working, or zealous hope. It's an active hope. It's not a hope that sits idle. It's a hope that is living and active and working in our life. So number one this morning, the first thing I want you to see is we have the promise of a living hope. As a child of God this morning, look, regardless of what happens in this world, I have a living hope. I have an active hope. I have a real hope. It's not a dormant hope that I'm waiting to claim when I die. Now, folks, I'm thankful this morning I have everlasting life, and I'm going to live beyond this life. But can I tell you something? I have hope in this life as well because of Christ. Why? The Bible says he's begotten us to a lively hope. Folks, this morning, look, we don't have any reason to be sad today. Why? Because the hope that we have in Christ is a living hope. It is a live hope. It's a lively hope. It's active. Can I tell you, my hope has been active in my life the last nine months for sure. There hasn't been a lot to be hopeful for, has it? I mean, all the things that are going on around us in our world seems to be imploding right before our eyes, and there's not a whole lot to be hopeful about. But watch this. When our hope is in Christ, we have a lively hope. An active hope, a working hope, a real hope. My hope is not in vain this morning. Why? Because my hope is in Christ. I want to tell you something. If you haven't realized this yet, you probably need to get saved, all right? Because the last nine months, if 2020 has taught us anything, is that you better have a real hope, all right? A lively hope, a working hope, an active hope. 
I was at, uh, we were in Louisiana for about 24 hours. We had to make turnaround trips to see my wife's family. Her grandfather's not doing well, and they had a family gathering, so we had to do all of that and to see them. And uh, I have, he's like a nephew, but he's not really my nephew. He's a cousin-in-law, but he's like a nephew. His name is Dalton. And uh, me and Dalton are playing around. I just really relate to those people. You know, they're about nine years old and under our wavelengths are about the same. And so while they're in there having the adult conversations about football and all this, we're just, we're talking about dinosaur hunting. And me and Dalton are going to go outside and we're going to go dinosaur hunting. And I said, all right, Dalton, it's raining. Get your boots on, get your coat on, and get you some guns. We're going to go dinosaur hunting. He says, really? I said, yeah, let's go. And so he goes to his boots and he gets his jacket. I said, where's your gun? I said, if we're going dinosaur hunting, you're going to have to have a gun. And he goes, I got a gun. He said, I got these. And he holds them up. And, buddy, he's as serious as the day is long. He, he even stuck them in his holster. He's got his boots, his jacket, and he's got his holster. And I was thinking this morning, you know, imaginary guns are good for imaginary dinosaurs. Think about that. You're going to fight imaginary dinosaurs, then di- uh, imaginary guns will work just as fine. But if you've got real problems, you better have a real hope. And in 2020, we have faced a lot of real problems, and I fear the reason so many people are running around like Chicken Little with their head cut off, and we're in panic mode, and we're frantic, it's because we're finding out in the face of real problems that we don't necessarily have a real hope. But when your hope is in Christ, the Bible says in verse number 3, he's begotten us unto a lively hope. I like the way David puts it in Psalms 46. He says, God is our refuge and strength. Listen close. A very present help. A very present help. That means he's on the scene. He's there. He's alive. And he's working. How sad would it be this morning not to have a God that we could reach out and grab hold to in times like these. By the way, you ought to be holding to him anyway. All right? Times are good. Times are bad. You ought to be holding to him all the same. But oftentimes we do drift and we put our hope in our money and our jobs and we put money, our hope in our people. And all of a sudden all of that falls away from us and we realize our hope was misplaced. And we grab hold of God. Aren't you glad he's merciful? I mean, look, the first time, oh, look, folks get mad at me and cut me off. I want to cut them off too. But I'm thankful that I serve a God who's rich in mercy. And I reach out to him and I take hold of him and I realize, you know what? He's a real hope. Why? Because he's a lively hope. He's real, he's active, and he's working in the lives of his people. Yesterday was the college football playoffs, and I watched a little bit of it, and I listened to it on the way home. Boy, it was just flooding rain yesterday, and I'm trying to drive home, three-hour drive from Louisiana, and just uh, flooding going down the road, so I, I didn't, I couldn't watch it going down the road, okay? Maybe if it wasn't raining, I would have watched it, but I couldn't watch it, so I'm listening to it on the radio. And as I'm going down the road listening to what they're saying, I kept hearing the commentators say this about the different games, whether it was Clemson or Notre Dame or it wasn't LSU, but uh, these other guys, they're trying to keep their playoff hopes alive. They're working and they're fighting. They're trying to keep their playoff hopes alive and they're going to try to make this drive and score another touchdown. They're trying to keep their hopes alive. And how often are we guilty of doing just that? We have to run around and make more money and buy more things and, and be a, get the approval of mankind. Why? We're trying to keep our hopes alive because that's where our hopes are at. But can I tell you something? When your hope's in Christ, you don't have to worry about keeping your hope alive because he's already alive and he ever liveth. Aren't you glad this morning? Look, I'm so glad this morning that my hope is not in something that I have to keep alive. That's why I don't have pets. Just ask Miss Evelyn. I babysitted her fish 
for about six days. Not because she came home after six days, because her fish went home after six days. <laughs> Wherever fish go, Miss Evelyn's fish is probably a good fish. So he probably went to the good place. Wherever good fish go, my, we weren't here what three weeks. And our nice Miss Evelyn moved out of the house so we could move into that house. And the least we could do is babysit her fish. A beta fish—they're easy to keep alive, right? So they say, just put them in a jar with some bamboo and throw some food every once in a while, and they live forever. That's what they say, but they haven't met the Andrews family. My wife comes in and she says, man, Evelyn's fish can do some neat tricks. He can swim upside down and sideways. And... No, she didn't say that. CPR, you know, taking a nine-volt battery, trying to shock it back. You know, Miley's trying to do chest compressions on the little fish, keep him going, moving his fins, trying to wake up, wake up, throw some cold water, hot water, trying to revive the fish. He's gone. He was gone. We kept him in the free freezer for her until she got home. We kept him on ice so she could have a proper fish burial for him. Man, something as simple as keeping a fish alive. We couldn't keep a fish alive. This past Wednesday, I had the uh, teenagers come down to the office, and we had just kind of a coffee fellowship there in my office and some cookies, and got to share my heart with them for our church and uh, my hope for them in their life and the will of God for their life. And uh, somebody pointed out a tree that I have up on the top right shelf in my office. It's a bonsai tree. And it's dead on a doornail. It's pretty still, but it's dead. It's pretty dead. That's what it is. It's pretty dead. And they said, what happened? I said, well, evidently you're supposed to water them with ice cubes. And I just, every day I just water it and water it and water it. I think I drowned it. It's sad that I couldn't keep a fish alive, but I drowned a tree. You think about that. I mean, if this world isn't mixed up, this world's mixed up. I couldn't keep a fish alive. I couldn't keep a bonsai tree alive. What makes us think we can keep hope alive? We go out there trying to, if I just had more money, if I just had more money, oh, if I've heard that once, I've heard it a million times, just a little bit more, just a little bit more, and then I'm going to have enough money to come and be faithful to church and serve God in church. You'll never have enough. Because just as quick as you bring it in, it's going out. Your hope better not be in that. Your hope better not be in your job. Your hope better not be in politics. Why? Because you'll never keep those things alive. Why? Because they're of man. I'm glad that my hope is in something this morning that I don't have to keep alive or I would lose it. The Bible says that he hath begotten us. What does it say, verse 3? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, a hope that's a lively hope. You see, the truth about our hope this morning, if you're saved, is your hope will live as long as Christ does. You think about that. The reason you have a reason to smile this morning, in spite of what we're living in, in spite of the uncertainty of the future of this country, you can still smile. Why? Because your hope is alive as long as Christ is. And let me tell you something. Spoiler alert, he's not going anywhere. Oh, the devil tried his best, didn't he? You know why the devil tried to kill Christ? Because if he could kill Christ, he killed your opportunity at hope. Matter of fact, we read about the birth of Christ in Matthew chapter 2. Through Herod and Herod's ambition, he says, they're going to kill Christ. We've got to kill him. And they kept trying to kill him his whole life. And then on Calvary, Satan thought he had him. He thought he had killed him. And then lo and behold, he rises from the grave. Can I tell you, if Satan tried everything to kill Christ and couldn't, he can't kill your hope either. Why? Because your hope's in a Christ that couldn't be defeated. We have a lively hope this morning. The promise that we have of what Christ came to do is not only to solve the problem of sin that we have, but he gives us the promise of the hope that can only be found in Christ. 
You know, in the news a lot lately, there's a lot of talk about this election. Of, oh, there's a lot of people biting their nails, what's going to happen, and what's going to go on. And I hate to tell you this, but if, if you lose an election, there's, there's nothing saying you have to lose your hope. And if a lost election means you lost your hope, then your hope was misplaced. Look, if your hope's in an election, look, your hope's going to do this all the time, up and down, up and down. Your hope is in something that can let you down. That's why your hope should have been in Christ all along. Why? He'll never let you down and he'll never lose. That's why as a child of God this morning, you can smile and you can have a joyful countenance because our hope is in Christ and it's a lively hope. But there is an alternative I want to give you right quick. I'm going to read it for you, so stick with me. 1 Samuel 12, Samuel's challenging Israel with this statement in verse 21. He says, and turn ye not aside. He's saying not to turn from God. Don't turn from God. But here's what he says the alternative is, 1 Samuel 12, 21. For then should ye go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. Samuel's challenging Israel, don't turn from God. Don't turn from God. Don't chase after anything else for your hope. There's no hope in anything else other than God. He says those things are vain, and what can they not do? They cannot profit nor deliver. You know what he's saying? There's no hope there. I fear our country is a hopeless country today because we've turned from Christ chasing after vain things that cannot profit nor deliver. Folks, can I ask you this this morning? In what you are hoping in, can it make you to profit? And then more importantly, can it deliver you? Can that job that you put ahead of God all the time, can it deliver you? Can that job give you hope? Can that money give you hope? Can the people that you've put your trust in, can they give you hope? I assure you they cannot. Why? Because they are vain things. Psalms 115.4. Listen closely what the Bible says about those vain things. It says, but our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. But listen to what it says about those who do not trust in God. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. They have mouths, but they speak not. Can I tell you one of the greatest encouragements for the child of God is to be able to hear the voice of our Father. You know, we, we got folks right now in our church that are dealing with this virus. I mean, we have folks every week dealing with this virus, not here this morning because they're dealing with this virus. And it seems like I always get the phone calls on Saturday, getting ready for service, looking forward to a great day, looking forward to a big day, our season of hope. And then for some odd reason, about 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock, maybe 9 o'clock, you start getting phone calls. So-and-so has been tested positive. And eventually, folks, probably most of us will get it, okay? So don't feel bad if you've gotten it or if you have it, okay? And I'm on my way home last night, and my wife reaches over and puts her hand on my shoulder, and she's rubbing my shoulder. You know, that's what a good wife does when your husband's deep in thought, and she could tell I was deep in thought because my brow was furled and I was being grumpy. Oh, oh, I'm tired of this virus. I'm driving down the road. All right, what do we need to do? I'm calling Brother Nate. Brother Nate, let's find out contact tracing. Can we have service? Let's make sure we can keep everybody safe. And man, my heart is just, oh, it's just grieved. And then I hear the voice of my father. He speaks to my heart. Reminds me he's still in control. And God forbid we even have to meet via live stream today. He says, don't worry, my word will not return void. It's still quick and powerful, even if we have to watch over live stream. And all of a sudden, I got hope from hearing my father's voice. 
But the Bible says in Psalms 115, when you turn to idols, you turn away from Christ and your serve. By the way, an idol is not just a little God. It's anything you put ahead of God. Your job. By the way, your kids can even become idols. When you put them in front of God and you obey what they want rather than what God's told you to do in their life, they've become an idol to you. The Bible says when you have those idols in your life, they have mouths, but they speak not. They have eyes. The Bible says eyes they have, but they see not. Aren't you glad this morning that we have a heavenly father and he's not falling asleep up there on his throne in heaven? This COVID outbreak, sweeping America, political unrest, social unrest, all of these things, that the eyes of our father have been glued upon the hearts and homes of his children. He knows exactly what's going on. You know what that does? It gives you hope. My father's watching. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. He's watching. He knows what's going on. But if your hope is in something other than Christ, then your God is blind and cannot see the needs you have in your life. That's why your hope should be in Christ. Keep reading in Psalms 115. It says, they have ears, but they hear not. How many times in the last nine months have I rang my father's phone? Not my dad, but my heavenly father. Lord, what do you want us to do? Father, I don't want to cancel service. I want us to be in service. We're having a season of hope. Lord, you know we need to be in here. And God says, no, I need you to close the doors, keep everybody safe. And oh, what a blessing it was knowing that I was speaking to my father that was listening. Aren't you glad he listens? Aren't you glad that he hears us when we cry out to him and we bow before him? Our father hears us. And what does it do? It gives us hope. It's a lively hope. He's listening and he hears us. Number one, notice the promise that we have, this promise of hope, is a promise of a living hope. You go back to my office. I showed the young people this the other day. Um, Brother Timothy's uncle, Brother uh, Roger, gave me this uh, idol. It's a a real idol. I should have brought it this morning. It's a clay idol from a cave when he was missionary down in Chile. He he got out of this cave and brought it back to me. And you can see where the the burn marks around it, where people worshipped it, and they put little things that smoked, and they would bow down before it. And I thought, how sad there are people who actually worship this thing. And they put hope in that thing. And they're praying for sick loved ones. And they're asking God to send rain down to, to water their crops. And they're praying to this little ball of clay that can't hear them, that can't see them, who can't reach out to them. And as sad as that is this morning, I fear there's a lot of God's people. We have idols in our life. I assure you, your job can't do for you what God can. I assure you, you, listen, I don't know how much money you may have this morning, but I assure you, your money can't do for you what God can. That's why your hope's got to be in Him. He's the only hope. Without Him, we can do nothing. John 15, 5. Apart from the vine, we are just a branch, a dead stick. But with Christ, we're a lively hope, the Bible says. Notice what it says, verse 3. Hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And look at verse 4. He goes on to say, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. Now, he's given us some very detailed words to explain what our hope is. The Bible says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. Not only do we as the children of God have a living hope that's real, that's active and working in our life, the Bible uses two words I want you to see. It's the word incorruptible and the word undefiled. You know what that means? It means untouched by anything that can defile. The hope that we have, the hope of what our Father has laid up for us this morning through what Jesus Christ did on the cross, it's a hope that is incorruptible and undefiled, meaning nothing can touch it that defiles. 
Now, this is where it gets good. It's sad this morning that COVID has seemingly affected every area of our life. You think about it. Obviously, it's affected us physically. Obviously, it's affected us personally. I was looking at pictures from 2020. We're getting our video together for our theme for 2021. And looking back over 2020's pictures and looking at so many things we had to do in quarantine. My daughter's 13th birthday was in quarantine, and our first year anniversary was in quarantine. The kids' graduation was in quarantine. I mean, so many things we had to do. Why? Because COVID affected our lives, not only physically, but personally. I know a lot of people, they're suffering financially. My favorite ice cream joints over there on West Hattiesburg, 32 degrees closed. There's people suffering. Why? Because this virus, it's touched every area of our life. I know people that are suffering spiritually. Because of this virus. As a matter of fact, I would put spiritually number one across the globe. The greatest effects of this virus, COVID, has affected people more spiritually than it has physically, I assure you. And yet, verse number four gives us a reassurance. It says that our inheritance, he's speaking of what we have to hope for, it's incorruptible and undefiled. Do you know what that means? It means the hope that we have as the children of God has been set out of reach from anything that's going on in this world that could defile it. The hope that we have that our Heavenly Father has placed it to where nothing that we're going through, of circumstances of this life, not even COVID can affect the, the hope that we have as the children of God. Now, folks, look, I know it does affect us financially. I know it affects us spiritually. I know that it affects us personally. Folks, we have seen counseling go through the roof over the last nine months. Why? This thing affects us in ways we never thought it was going to affect us. But one thing it cannot affect, and that is our hope. Because the Bible says our hope is incorruptible and it's undefiled. The second promise I want you to see this morning, not only do we have a living hope, but we have the promise of a relieving hope. And I'll explain that to you. We have a relieving hope. Maybe you're looking at your bank account today and your bank account's been affected by COVID. Uh, Maybe we're looking out this morning and obviously I'm looking at empty chairs this morning. Do you know why? It's a direct result of COVID. It's affected our attendance. It may have affected your finances. Maybe your burden this morning, you have a burden upon your heart. It's affected that. But what a relief this morning that our hope is out of the reach of the circumstances of this life. I want you to think about that. The hope that we have that our Father has set aside for us, the Bible says it's out of reach. It can't be defiled. The Bible says it's incorruptible and undefiled and fadeth not away. I look at our country this morning. Our country is going through a very unsettling time. You don't have to be a politician to look and see that the circumstances are very right in America today. Before too terribly long, I believe we're going to see many of our religious liberties taken away. It's there. You'd have to be someone sticking your head in the sand not to see that. It's already begun to happen. We see our religious liberties are going to be taken away, and we see that a lot of our freedoms may be lost. And what does that make us want to do? It makes my heart beat faster. What happens if they crack down on the church? It's coming. Read your Bible. The Bible says perilous times shall come. It means it's going to get rough. And then my heart begins to race, and I begin to panic, thinking about, you know, we may lose our religious liberty. What if they tell us we can't preach this book? What if they say if you stand behind this pulpit and preach the word of God, you're going to jail? It's coming. Matter of fact, it's already happened in other places around the world. Just north of us in Canada, it's already happened. Preacher's going to jail for preaching the very word of God. It's coming to an America near you. It makes my heart race. 
What if we lose our religious liberty? What if we lose our, our freedoms as Americans? But I'll tell you what gives me hope. What gives me hope is knowing that they can't take away my hope. You can take my religious liberty. You can even take my freedom and you can lock me up, but you can't take my hope. You see the Apostle Paul and Silas sitting in prison. They had taken away their freedom, but they're sitting there singing praises at midnight. Why? Because they couldn't take away their hope. It was incorruptible. It was undefilable. You couldn't take that away. Now, folks, listen to me this morning. You can give it away if you want to. But the devil's not strong enough to take it away. Why? Because Christ secured that for you and I on the cross. We have a relieving hope this morning, all right? It gives us relief. When my heart begins to race, oh, my goodness, look, we may not be able to meet together. The church has to go underground. We may not be able to have a copy of the Word of God. They may take all of these things away. And all of a sudden, I get relieved. How do you get relieved in the midst of all of that? Knowing they can't take my hope away. You can't take my hope away. The Bible says it's incorruptible and undefiled. Not long before we moved here, I've told you this story before. I mean, maybe a couple months before we moved here. Matter of fact, we came here in March, met with the church. I think it was. It was March. And um, we, we took a trip to Disneyland in California to get away and think. What a great place to get away and think, you know. Got on a plane, flew to, flew to Anaheim and went to the park. And it was my daughter's 13th or 12th birthday. 12th birthday. We get a phone call. We're getting on one of the rides that our house had been broken into. And I've told you this story before, but I'm going to give you an extra part to it. And so we're sitting there getting ready to watch the, the fireworks show, and I'm on the phone with my mother-in-law. Okay, tell me w- what it looks like. And he said, all the dresser drawers have been taken out, dumped out all over the floor. The kitchen cabinets were open. The kitchen window was busted out. The back door was just ripped off. I mean, it was just a mess of a mess in our house. My wife's jewelry boxes thrown out all over the floor, DVD cases, cushions of the couch. You could tell. You could tell it was a redneck who robbed our house because they knew stuff was hidden on the cushions of our couch, you know? Pulled the cushions off the couch. It was just a mess. And I said, Miss Keith, I want you to look in, in the corner of the bedroom, the rifle my dad gave me. When I was 12 years old, 223 Remington Model 788. Love that rifle. She said, it's not there. Man, my heart was broken. You know, my dad, my, my first rifle, killed my first deer with that. And, and I remember right before we left, uh, Christmas before that, my wife had bought me a Henry Golden Boy, Lever Action 22. You know, you watch the rifleman, you've got to have one of them. I haven't gotten it yet where I can twist it yet, you know. You talk about you want to clear out a room, start trying to twist a rifle around like that. People scatter really, really quick. And I I had that rifle, and I remember putting it in the corner of our bedroom on the right side as you walk out of the the, the bathroom over on the right, you know, because you had to get your hands on a gun if you you need it. And um, right before we left, I took my bathrobe, and I hung my robe on that gun. And it covered it up. And I said, Miss Keisha, I said, do me a favor. Look in the corner of my room. Do you see my bathrobe? And I remember her saying something like, I, I don't think they're going to steal your bathrobe. <laughs> I have a nice bathrobe. <laughs> I mean, if you felt it, it's soft. It's not one of them cheapo things like from Dollar General. And I said, behind that robe was my, my gun, the one Leslie gave me. And I, if I lost the other ones, I would hate it. But boy, I don't want to lose that one. Leslie just got me that one. And she went and she pulled, pulled the robe off. And there was my gun. It was there. In spite of all the heartache, I was relieved by what was still there. They'd taken a lot, messed up my house. I was more mad that we had to come and clean up all that mess than what they took, because I can't take the stuff with us anyway. You know, we go to heaven, we're not going to be able to take the stuff with us. 
And I remember how relieved I was when I realized, okay, they got a lot, but they didn't get that. They didn't get the one that really mattered. And this morning, we may lose a lot in this country. We may lose a lot. We may lose our religious liberty. We may even lose the opportunity to meet together in this building. We may lose our freedoms. I don't know. I can't tell you what's going to happen. The devil, oh, he's subtle and he's conniving. But one thing we can be encouraged about is what they can't take. And that's our hope. The Bible says the hope that we have is incorruptible and it's undefiled. John 10, the Bible says the thief has come but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. The devil would love to do that in your life, in your home, and in this country, and in this church. But one thing he can't touch is our hope. Now, something interesting I found in my study this week, and I'm going to hurry. The word hope is mentioned 130 times in the King James Bible. 130 times. I look at the books and how they're broke up in the books and which books mention the word hope the most. The number one mentioning of hope is in the book of Psalms. It's mentioned 22 times. But you will never believe the second book that hope is mentioned the most. Of all the unlikely places, it's the book of Job. The book of Job, hope is mentioned the second most times in all of the word of God. And you think about the man Job, just in one chapter, he lost his property. That was taken away. He lost his children. That was taken away. He would lose his health. That was taken away. He would lose his friendship. That was taken away. His wife's companionship, he'd lose that. That was taken away. And yet in Job chapter 19, verse 25, Job says this, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day. Job still had his hope. The devil couldn't take that away. Now, folks, this is why it's important that your hope is in the Lord. Job was not hoping in his stuff. Why didn't Job just fall out and panic and collapse when all of his property was lost? And Job probably earned more than all of us combined. And he lost it all. He lost his children. And yet Job kept the course. Job had courage and boldness. How? His hope wasn't in any of those things. The devil comes along and starts kicking the legs out from the table that Job sat at. The table didn't fall. Why? Because his hope was not in his money. It was not in his stuff. It was not in people. His hope was in the Lord. That's why he says, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day. Here he is, chapter 19. It's about halfway through Job's story, and he still has his hope. Why? Because he had that relieving hope that can only come from God. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is the Second Kings chapter 6. I'll not turn there. But when Elijah was camped out at Dothan, and the king sends the army to pick him up, go get him and bring him back here. And I don't know why, this is the way I always pictured it, Brother Heath. The servant goes out in the morning to get the coffee ready. All right, they're camped out. I see this tent pitched out there on the plain. The servant goes out to get the coffee ready, and he looks up, and there's the king's army sent to arrest them. And all of a sudden, he says, how shall we do? He flies back into the tent. What are we going to do? That we're surrounded you know, I'm sure he was probably getting his shotgun loaded up extra, digging up the ammunition he had buried in the backyard. I mean, here it comes. He's fixing to go to war. And I see Elijah just so relaxed. I said, he's already got his coffee because he got up early to go spend time with the Lord. So he's already got his coffee. And he's walking outside. I don't know if this is how it happened, okay? This is how I picture it. Don't you go home and try to find that in the Bible. It's just how I picture it, okay? We all have an imagination. Elijah walks out. And he's just sitting there biting his fingers. And Elijah's sitting there with his coffee in his hand. And he says, he asks the Lord. He prayed just a brief prayer. He says, Lord, open his eyes. Open his eyes. 
Help him to see. Let, let him see what's really going on. And all of a sudden, the Bible says the hills and the mountains that those soldiers that were there were surrounded with horses and chariots of fire. Elijah wasn't panicked. Why? Because his hope was in the Lord. He had a relieving hope. You imagine how it would feel if all of a sudden you come out and the... And, Let's say the United Nations. I just can't figure the, the, the American army would do it. The United Nations has surrounded your house. How scary is that? And all of a sudden you look up behind the United Nations and there's angels and horses and chariots of fire. Do you know what that would give you? Fill in the blank. Hope. Matter of fact, you probably would get a little bit cocky. You might, even start, you might even walk around the bullseye on your chest, just walking around, talking a little bit of smack. Why? Because you have hope, and your hope is bigger than your enemy. He says, open his eyes so that he can see. He opened his eyes, and the hills were filled with horses and chariots of fire. All of a sudden, I kind of feel like the servant kind of got a smirk on his face. You know what he was? He was relieved. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're big and they're bad, but guess what? God is better. He had a relieving hope, and we can have that this morning. I was heading to preach in Alabama the other day, and I uh, was going down 49 South at a fair clip. And usually I'm in a hurry to get where I'm going because usually I have several places that I have to be. And sometimes I'm running late. I'm not sure why, but it just happens that way. And uh, I get there by that log yard there toward Wiggins, and out of the bushes comes this state trooper. And I love our law enforcement. He comes out, lights are on, and he's, I'm about a, about a half a mile ahead of him by now, and here he comes. And you get that hot feeling down your neck, and you're thinking, look, I really appreciate you guys, but I appreciate it if you just keep on going, you know? And I'm sitting there, and buddy, I get it back down to 65 or whatever the speed limit is. I just get it down there, and I'm just driving along, and I'm just cringing, thinking, what is my wife going to say? I'm going to have to spend her Christmas shopping money to pay this ticket, <laughs> I'm driving, driving, I'm just waiting, just waiting, and all of a sudden, he just goes past me. Now, I don't know who the guy was he was after, and I hate it for them, and if it was you, I apologize. But I was so relieved, he didn't get me. I was like, thank you, Lord. Evidently, my prayer life was better than the guy who was in front of me. <laughs> Not me. Couldn't, he didn't get me. He didn't get me. Now, folks, look. We're the, we're the children of God. We have a lively hope, and it should be a relieving hope that all that's going on, it can't get us. It can't get us. Yeah, it can take your stuff, but it can't take your hope. Why? Because our hope that we have, the Bible says, it's incorruptible and undefiled. It's out of the reach of the circumstances of our life. The author of the song, Rock of Ages, said this at 38, last words, I enjoy heaven already in my soul. My prayers are all converted into praises. This is their last words on their deathbed. It says, I enjoy heaven already in my soul. They couldn't take the hope. Not even death could take the hope. I read a story just this morning on a martyr by the name of Lambert who died under Henry VIII. He said this, while he was cruelly mangled by the soldiers' halberts, and consuming in a slow fire, he raised his burning hands amid the flame, amidst the flames, and with a distinct voice exclaimed, None but Christ, none but Christ. 
How does somebody who's being run through as they're burning alive at the stake say, none but Christ with a burning hand? You see, they couldn't take away his hope. The flames couldn't take away his hope. The pain couldn't take away his hope. Why? Because the hope that we have is incorruptible and undefiled. There's nothing this world can throw at my hope and take it away. Why? Because God has set it way out of the reach of any circumstance I'm ever going to go through. I believe this was the hope that Daniel took in the lion's den. Or else he wouldn't have been asleep. This is the hope that David took down to meet Goliath. This is the hope that Paul had going to Jerusalem. Now, folks, it's the hope that we have facing 2020 and even 2021. If they could have hope in the midst of their circumstances, then we could too. So number two, notice we have a promise of a relieving hope. If our hope is in Christ, it's something the world can't touch. The last part of verse 4 says this, and we'll be done today. It says, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. I love the fact the Bible uses a very distinct word we recognize well. It's the word reserved. The Bible says it fadeth not away, and it's reserved. You see, not only do we have a living hope, all right? It's alive, it's active, it's real, and it's working in the world we're living in right now, but we have a relieving hope. It gives us relief in spite of whatever the world throws at us. Why? Because the world can't touch our hope that's incorruptible and undefiled. But finally, we have a hope that the Bible says it's reserved. It's reserved. Number three, we have the promise of a lasting hope. The promise of a lasting hope. Can I tell you this morning that where you get something will say a lot about how long it lasts. Let it sink in. Where you get something is going to say a lot about it, determine a lot about how long it lasts. I'll give you an example. A while back, I was in this new store across town. It's not quite new, but it's newer to me, called Five Below. Anybody been in that store? Man. It's almost as good as dirt cheap, but it's not quite. I walk in, and they got all this stuff that's in there, and they had a pair of shoes for $5. And I thought, $5? I mean, good night. That's a good deal. And so I bought those shoes Brought them home. I put them in the trunk of the car as a, as a spare pair. We got ready to go on vacation last, uh, whatever, when it was, we went on vacation. And I realized I did not pack my good shoes. But the good thing is I had a spare pair in the trunk. So I go and I get my $5 pair of shoes. I put them on and I'm going to walk. We usually walk around 60 to 75 miles a week at Disney World. I found out real quick why they're $5. I got them at five below, from a place where things are made a little bit cheaper than, you know, Foot Locker. And they didn't last very long. And man, I got blisters on my feet. I got blisters on the back of my heels. I mean, it was just rough. The, the shoes started falling apart. The shoelaces, I mean, they just kept growing. The more they got wet in the rain, they just kept growing. These shoelaces flopping everywhere. It was a horrible pair of shoes. Well, you get what you pay for. I got them from a place that's not quite known for selling shoes, you know, and activewear for men. Now, your hope is the same way. When you get your hope from God, the Bible says it's reserved in heaven for you. That means it's going to last. As a child of God this morning, look, if you've put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a lasting hope. Circumstances can't touch it, nor can they take it away. Now, I want you to see something. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse number 14. The Bible says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it nor anything taken from it. That includes hope. 
that whatever God does, he does forever. The Bible says nothing can be put to it and nothing taken from it. That means as a child of God this morning, I have a lasting hope that's not only for this life, but all the way through the next. What does it say back there in Isaiah chapter number 9? It says, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. goes on to say, he will establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth even forever. As a child of God today, I have a hope. It's a hope that's living and active in my life right now. And buddy, do we need it. It's a hope that's relieving that when the circumstances of life start to try to take my hope away, I can say, you don't have to take it. Why? My hope is incorruptible and undefiled. More importantly than that, I have a hope beyond this life that the Bible says it's reserved in heaven for you. You know, God never promised to eliminate our problems. Listen to this. He never promised to eliminate our problem. He said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. He never promised to eliminate them, but he did promise we could outlast them, that we can outlive them. One day, I'm going to draw my last breath in this life. Hopefully not anytime soon, but I'm going to draw my last breath in this life. I'm going to leave these troubles behind, and I'm going to go on living in the presence of my Lord. I'm going to outlive my problems. Right now, we're going through a whole lot of problems in America. Our world is troubled right now. We're in tribulation right now. But the Bible says that my hope is reserved in heaven. We went on our honeymoon 15 years ago, and my mom and dad reserved a rental car for us when we got to Orlando. So we spent our, our time in Disney World. We're going to drive up and see the coast of Florida. And I went to the rental car place to get our car. We rode a shuttle there to get our car. And uh, they says, whose name is it in? I said, well, it's in my name. And they said, we don't have it in your name. I said, look, there's a car reserved for me in my name, and I really need that car because uh, we're stranded if we don't have a car. And we kept looking and looking, and I realized my mom and dad had reserved that car for me. They had, they had rented it for us on our honeymoon, and it was in their name. And so I got talking to the guy. I said, could you check Jack? Could you see if something's on the name of Jack? And all of a sudden, he got this big smile across his face. He says, yep. There's a car reserved in your name under the name of Jack. And uh, Chrysler Pacifica, I remember that. It was a cool car back then. We got our rental car, and we went up and, and, and saw the coast of Florida, and we had a good old time. But you see, there was no reservation in my name that was good enough. But the one that was in my dad's name was good enough. And that reservation was good because it was in my dad's name, not because it was in my name. My name didn't have it, and my name couldn't produce it, but his could. I want you to know as a child of God today, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross of Calvary. Oh, listen, I'm thankful for Christmas and the birth of our Savior. But he was truly born to die. And he would go to that cross, he would live, he would die, and he would rise again. And this very moment, he's in the presence of his Father. The Bible says that's where my hope is reserved. My hope's not reserved down here because all of this is going to pass away. And because of my father and what he was willing to do for me in sending his son, I have a living hope, I have a relieving hope, and I have a lasting hope that's waiting on me. And no matter what happens in this life, they can't take it. Because I have the promise. I have a promise from my father. Now, can I ask you something this morning? Do you have that promise? Have you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and that alone, not your works, not your church attendance, not your baptism? Have you trusted Christ and Christ alone as your Savior? That's the only hope. That's it. 
But when you receive Christ as your personal Savior, you now have that living hope that goes to work right now. You don't have to wait until you die for it to work. It starts working right now as a real, active, working hope in your life. And then when this life starts weighing down on you, it's a relieving hope. Oh, it takes the pressure off knowing they can't touch your hope. They can't touch it. But most importantly, it's a lasting hope that lasts beyond this life into the next. Do you have that? If you do this morning, why don't you rest in that? Why don't you rest in that? There's been a lot said the last few days about the, uh, the stars lining up here. Was it tomorrow night? The stars are going to align. Going to have that Christmas star for the first time in, what, 800 years? I don't know how they keep track of all that, but 800 years the first time that Christmas star. And I was thinking the other day, you know, everybody's posting on Facebook, be sure to watch it right after sunset. Be sure to watch it. Be sure to watch it. And all everybody's eyes are going to be turned looking up at those stars. What would happen? What a perfect time. He came the first time with a star. That shouldn't scare you. If that scares you this morning, maybe your hope is misplaced. Now, folks, look, there's a lot of things I've done that has not been pleasing to the Lord. But one thing's for sure, I've got my hope. I've got that nailed down. And if he were to come, look, we may never get to open those Christmas presents you have under your tree. Tomorrow night, the eastern sky could split. Here he comes. We're out of here. That ought to make you smile. But if you're worried, why don't you come down this morning and make sure you've got the hope that you'll only find in Christ. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm not going to pretend that I like what's going on in our world. But I'm also not going to pretend like I don't have hope. I have hope. It's a living hope. It's active, it's real, and it's working in my life. It's not dead. If you're a child of God today and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, why are you acting like your hope's dead? The Bible says we have a lively hope, an everlasting hope. And that ought to give you some relief in the world we're living in, that regardless of what we're going through, they can't touch your hope. It's undefiled. Maybe this morning you need to rest in the fact that we have a lasting hope. It's going to outlast the problems of this life, and one day we'll get to spend eternity at the foot of Jesus. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, I want to encourage you to come down allow one of our counselors to take the word of God and help you how you can have that same hope today. Heavenly Father.